Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the 45th episode of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast with your host, Brent Hershey and me, Chris Blessing. Well, let's just get started and ask you how you're doing today, Brent. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, back to our normal Monday uh, recording. And like you said, uh, or like Nick, you didn't say it yet, but I'll say it. We only got a couple episodes uh, yet to go. Um, but uh, yeah, some good stuff to discuss and uh, coming off a good weekend. Uh, how are you doing? Well, I'm not as broken as I was last week, so that's good. I've recovered good. from sickness. I still got some back issues. Hopefully they resolve. I'm not looking forward to sitting in uh, some baseball uh, seats. Well, I am looking forward to it, but not looking forward to it because I hate getting up because it just stiffens uh, stiffens up in those seats behind home plate. So um as you mentioned, the season is winding down pretty quickly. Um, uh, the playoffs begin in the lower minor full season leagues like low A and high A this week. And mm-hmm. this week is also the last week of the double A season. And you, when we get to our, um, you know, where we'll be this week, you'll you'll hear some of, uh, you know, Brent's going to have playoff looks and I'm going to have a uh, little end of season double A looks. So it's going to be a fun uh, fun last week. Uh, so this is going to be our second to last episode of the regular season. At this point, uh, Brent and I, and actually the entire Miners team, and actually the entire website, have begun to transition to the off season. Is right, Brent? Yep, it's about that time. We kind of slow down the content a little bit on the site in general, and um, our two groups that put together the Baseball Forecaster book. Uh, the major league book and the minor league baseball analyst. Uh, we both get rolling uh, more serious about those at this time of the year. Um, after our last episode of the regular season um, next week, we'll come back sometime in November with a uh, preview of our list season coverage, um, probably some previews, some thoughts from the books we have, and uh, it'll be after um, First Pitch Arizona. So uh, you and I can chat about some looks that we got from the Arizona Fall League out there. Um, I know I'm, for one, waiting patiently, hopefully very soon, to hear uh, the rosters to be announced. Um, it's always a fun a fun time to know kind of who we're able to check out during, uh, during our weekend, week or so out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you're not familiar with the Arizona Fall League, that's a developmental league. Uh, mostly high minors, guys, all the major league clubs send, uh, I think, five or six prospects out there. They split up and uh, play games, and it's a good spot. A uh, good spot to check out for me always, too, um, players that I've heard of but haven't actually seen um, live because they haven't come in our area. Um, 
as an evaluator, Chris, what do you look for most during your week-long look at the uh, AFL since you've been doing it for several years? Well, you know, at first I started, you know, kind of scouting it like I scout anything else, like any other game. And, uh, you know, after the first year, maybe two years, you realize uh, that this is kind of a special league in the sense that uh, you don't know where the players are at mentally or physically at this point of the season. Uh, you'll get guys that have grinded through the season, uh, no injuries. You know, they're just kind of testing those guys. Uh, you'll get those guys that miss some time during the season. You'll also get guys that are working on specific skills. Yeah. Uh, we'll also have some dudes that are there to be kind of showcased. Uh, uh, try to figure out whether you're going to spend a 40-man roster spot on the guy or you're going to let him go unprotected in a Rule 5 draft. Uh, and then you also have that player that um, I, I like to call the high energy guy. Uh, you know, a few years ago, it was like Jazz Chisholm, you know, the guy that was just happy to be there. Royce Lewis was one of those guys, too. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, most guys, by the time we get to see him, which is the second to last week of the fall league season, are pretty worn down. So um, my evaluation changed significantly. Um, basically, I'm there to see the showcase. I want to see their skills on display. Like I saw Andre Jimenez uh, of the Guardians now, but he was a Mets prospect at that time. Uh, and he, he looked absolutely overmatched and tired uh, from his long season. Uh, so, like, my evaluation of him wasn't necessarily as uh, precise as somebody like uh, Jazz Chisholm, who looked like uh, looked like gold while he was there. Uh, so, like, it, it's it's a good way to see a lot of players in one place, especially if you have coverage of the minor league of a particular system that you might not have seen many of them this year you know go back to the Mets uh, you know we talked about them very briefly with Jimenez I haven't seen a Mets affiliate all year but I cover the Mets I haven't seen a Diamondbacks affiliate in person all year but I cover the Diamondbacks Uh, the Marlins another team that I cover uh, I didn't well, no, I did see one game, but still, it was not very. It was not very fruitful for me. So, yeah. uh, you know, being able to get these guys in this one place and you know, be able to discuss them. I mean, last year we were talking about uh, Nelson Velasquez of the Cubs because uh, mm-hmm. he was one of the top performers. We got to see uh, Caleb Killian right after he got acquired by the Cubs. Uh, I don't know why only Cub names are coming to my head, uh, but that's, that's sometimes how my mind works. So, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a different environment, but it's a fun environment. And maybe, you know, in a lot of, t- a lot of instances, uh, I take a lot of my evaluation with a grain of salt and then try to go and find video from earlier in the year to compare and contrast to see where the player is at. Um, Brent, do you have any thoughts about uh, scouting the fall league? I know that it's uh, a little harder for you uh, just because you're the host of uh, First Pitch Arizona, you and uh, Ray. Uh, so Brent might get an inning here and there and then usually gets an <laughs> inning or two or a game or two after the conference is over. Yeah, I mean it's it's very similar to you. Uh, I don't uh, because of all the stuff going on. Uh, I am not there, uh, you know, taking notes as 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 heavily as I normally do. Um, but I do, um, and as you said, because of the 
competition and not knowing uh, where some of these guys are at, um, I treat it more as just kind of, you know, getting a getting a in-person kind of mental image uh, of these players um, rather than doing any kind of hardcore scouting of them for me because of these other factors. Um, but it's a, it's a great, uh, you know, it's a great uh, time to be able to do that and, and get those kind of first impressions for a lot of the guys to see kind of in person there. Um, it's, a, it's a lot similar to what we talk about uh, seeing guys at the showcase. It's like a futures game or something. Um, this, you know, you get a little bit of longer looks depending, um, depending on the day. Um, but it's, uh, it's a great time. Uh, nonetheless, it's something where I always, of course, very much look, uh, look forward to and uh, everyone, mostly everyone that has come out uh, agrees. So, um, if you're on the fence about thinking about it, uh, do uh, do check out all the information we have about the uh, conference, which is November 3rd to the 6th is when it happens out in uh, Phoenix. You can find that on uh, homepage on baseballhq.com. Yeah, I was just about to mention that. There's like a 25% discount still uh, on the regular price. Mm-hmm. That's right, through the end of this month. And um, we're working uh, over these next couple of weeks to secure – uh, secure the sessions and get the program up uh, for everyone to see. And I have the great list of, uh, of contributors. It'll be there throughout the weekend and there'll be drafts and podcasts going on um, as well as obviously the game. So it's a great time for sure. Yes, I, I agree. And we didn't even practice that sales pitch. So everybody, um, you know, that, that actually came just from, from our hearts. Uh, so, so come join us at uh, the Arizona Fall League, but specifically at First Pitch Arizona. Uh, so transitioning a bit over the last several episodes, we actually assigned Brent a pitching prospect. Uh, <laughs> and he finally was able to see him. And that's Philly's uh, phenom pitching prospect, Andrew Painter. Uh, got to scout him last week. Uh, and uh, you're about to deliver the goods, I think. I'm very excited for you, Brent. Um it's been a long while. We've talked about Brent being a Phillies fan. I know uh, I'm a Mets fan. Grew, grew up a Mets fan. I'm contractually obligated to vote root for another team right now. Um, but, um, I, you know, I, I check it out from time to time still. Uh, but, um, you know, you're uh, this this is rare territory for you, Brent, as a Phillies fan, to have a dynamic pitching prospect on your hands. Uh, did he live up to the hype in your in-person look? Uh, pretty much so. Yes, he did. Got a chance to see him last Friday night. Um, uh, in what was going to, what was his last home start there in Reading? Um, as you said, it's someone I was sort of chasing for a while. Once, uh, he got called up to high a Jersey shore. Um, there was at least one time where I was planning on seeing him and they, uh, they pulled him, uh, kind of on my way to the ballpark, uh, where he didn't pitch. Um, some other uh, times, both there and at Reading, uh, when he was pitching at home, didn't work out to get to him. So uh, when I found out he was pitching last Friday night, I uh, made a special effort to kind of clear my schedule, make sure I get there. And um, yeah, it was it was pretty um, it was pretty exciting. And I, you know, I you make fun of me about the Phillies fandom and all that, and and that's true. I mean, I grew up uh, here in the area, and uh, that. But um, you know, I. I present this also as just kind of an evaluator, I think. Oh, and, I know. Uh, I mean, I, and, give you, I, give you, I give you a hard time. 
Uh, but like this is the thing is Brent is as hard on his Phillies as he is on anybody else. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and you probably have heard that through the last uh, uh, two years of doing this podcast. And if you're a subscriber, uh, his written word uh, on these guys at the site. Um, yeah. So Brent, hate, hated to interrupt, but I want to at least say that. Yeah, no, anyway. and But you're right, exactly right. I mean, Painter, I think, uh, the short of it is, I mean, I think he needs to be in the conversation here during this season as one of the, you know, top two, three uh, pitching prospects in the game, kind of in that in that conversation. Um, what he's doing at 19 years old, uh, you know, 15 months out of high school uh, this year it is just uh, is nothing short of amazing. I mean, you can look at the stats um when he finished up his five innings um uh last friday night he had 99 and two-thirds innings for the season um his strikeout totals for the season are 150 in those 92 innings uh against 25 walks um he's uh you know so statistically he's been succeeding at all of the three levels that they've uh moved him up towards um and he's just a, he's just a, you know, the first sight of him, and he's, he's a big physical guy, 6'7", 215. Um, he is, uh, you know, he's pretty much filled out, it seems like, at 19. Um, he's upright, upright, kind of simple mechanics, uh, you know, kind of a standard three-quarters release, just repeats it uh, very well. Um you know, the first thing I think you notice is just how he gets behind, you know, he gets behind this fastball. And it is just, you know, we talk about easy velo where, you know, it just looks effortless, effortless coming out of his hand. And uh, that's what I saw the other night. Uh, the fastball was consistently 96 to 98 through the entire outing. Uh, he touched 100 once, um, went 72 pitches, um, but, you know, sat kind of in that 96, 97, 98 range uh, the whole time. Uh, a couple of times you could see him, you know, reach back for that little extra um, to finish off a strikeout. Um, he, threw, uh, he threw 50, you know, about 55 fastballs, 40 of them for strikes. Uh, he used it as a finishing pitch. Um, and he was just around the strike zone with all of his pitches. Uh, with everything, but it, it certainly started with that fastball command and being able to, um, you know, kind of put that fastball where he wants it and and really just overwhelm some of these double-A hitters. He was facing uh, a New Hampshire club, double-A, um, that admittedly was, you know, was not, it was not stacked with uh, major league prospects either, uh, but he dominated kind of what was in front of him. Um he used uh, he had uh, two breaking balls. Uh, mo- he mostly used uh, an 81, 84 slider, um, but also dropped in um, some 82 mile per hour, 81 to 82 mile per hour curveballs. The curveball um, had some had some really good shape to it. Uh, just threw a couple of those, um, but with both the, both pitches, both the bat and the slider, um, just consistently sort of stole strikes with them. Uh, I think the hitters went, say, you know, got got through the first uh, couple of bats and he's throwing 98 
to to have a low to mid 80s uh, pitch that bends to it. <laughs> you know, they just freeze when it kind of drops into the strike zone. Uh, he's either stealing a strike with that at the beginning of an at bat, or sometimes finishing off at bats um, with the with the uh, slider and breaking ball. And then he uh, also threw some changeups that were in the 80, 87 to 89 range. Um, some of those were uh, were admittedly kind of left up in the zone a little bit, but he had great success with that pitch. Also, um, again, I think because of the 10 mile an hour difference between uh, his fastball and his changeup. Um, so the changeups that I saw didn't didn't have super shapes. So that would be something to continue to work on. But definitely, you know, because of repeating his mechanics, they were coming out of the same slot as the as the four seamer. Um, and just that uh, velocity difference uh, was big and, and uh, was quite successful for him. So yeah, he went. He went five innings. He had been gone, um, and we'll and we can talk about this too. The developmental, uh, you know, kind of plan that the Phillies have, uh, both him and McAble on. Um, but he had been gone uh, seven, eight, nine innings up to up towards 100 pitches or so. Um, in this in this outing, he went five innings. Uh, it was 72 pitches, and then they shut him down. But in that, uh, in that, in those five innings, you know, just had three hits. Uh, one was a broken bat single in the first inning. One was on a bad slider that a guy put down in the corner, but it wasn't necessarily hit that hard. And then the third hit uh, was really the, the hardest contact of the night, uh, just a hard single uh, where a guy caught up to up to the fastball. Um, but he had nine Ks, uh, just one walk, um, and really the walk was sort of in question. Um, he broke off one of these uh, curveballs uh, on a 2-2 count, I think, and uh, he and the, and dropped it in there. He and the catcher sort of started to exit the field because it was the third out, and then the umpire called it a ball, and uh, they kind of had to come back. Yeah. Um, and it, But it was an interesting sequence that actually that happened right off of that then is that uh, you could see that that, you know, did affect him just a little bit. Um, he ended up walking that batter um, and that had been, and that put two guys on. And then with the second pitch of the next at bat, uh, a fastball ran in and clipped the guy's wrist or a Jersey or something. And so he loaded the bases um, and that was really the only, you know, that was like the worst trouble he had gotten into Um Rightfully so. The pitching coach came out. The, um, the catcher went out. Uh, had a little conversation, and then you know he promptly uh, put away the next guy um, in you know with four pitches starting out with the, with this bat, a hundred mile an hour fastball, and set him down uh, on strike. So you know you always want to see. I always want to see even the best of these guys how they deal with some adversity like that. And, you know, and like, for instance, not getting the call there on that third strike, um, you know, one, one little yeah. sample of that, but he's really seemed composure wise to uh, get it back together, take a deep breath and then just go out and dominate the next guy. And then, and then in the fifth and final inning, uh, you know, it was a one, two, three inning with two strikeouts uh, and a little measly pop-up. Um, but it was, uh, it was just so impressive to see. Yeah. 
And, yeah, yeah, I I and I got I got to see him earlier this year. Um it was a video look. It was on a terrible uh St. Lucie uh feed. Uh, but I also had the baseball savant game log for that as well. So uh even though I struggled uh you know getting clean pitches out of it, uh what was crazy is a lot of the things that you um, mentioned are things that uh you know I saw in my start. Um that I scouted uh, the a the strike rate with the fastball. Um, one of the things I do want to um, want to say about that is uh, his ability. He's he's as Brent said, he's a three quarters uh, three quarters right hander. Um, it's not a low three quarters, and and essentially you know being six seven, it's it's coming in fairly tall. Uh, slot even if it's three quarters um yeah but it's also because it's a three quarters and most of the time when we see rise and um uh, you know flatness on a plane of, of a fastball um you're you're gonna get more swings and misses as opposed to somebody throwing over the top or from a high three quarters uh if you have that degree of um a break um essentially ride uh we'll call mm-hmm. it uh so that so uh, you know his fastball. You know he's sitting 96, 98, uh, and touching 100. But the movement is on, and, and the amount of extension he gets in his delivery as well. Being six seven, the movement yeah. in that extension is really causing uh, a good bit of swing and miss. Um, so far, when he's been in Double A, his whiff rate is at about 32. percent uh, You know most mm. of the guys that we talk about in Double A. Uh, are around twenty percent with their fastball whiff rate. Um, yeah. So that, that that's that's great to see. This is he's putting up the same whiff rate numbers that he put up uh, with the collected st- the stats that I got in low A uh, on his fastball. So like check mark right there. That pitch has has uh, shown it could dominate at three levels, uh, which mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Um, one of the big takeaways, you know, I got some data that that Brent doesn't necessarily have. Um, one of the big takeaways is he's barely thrown his changeup um, uh, since the call up, but the changeups he's throwing are at uh, anytime anytime you see a sixty percent chase rate uh, around a sixty percent chase rate. That's that's yeah. That's very significant. Um, yeah. uh, so him just mixing that in just slightly every so often. Um, I, I went, you know, uh, as Brent was talking, I, I went and looked at some video of the changeup from the uh, two starts before this start. Um, and, uh, you know, it just seemed like it was a night you had him on a night that he might not have had the feel for the pitch, which if I go back to my look in April, it was the same thing. Uh, it didn't feel like he had complete com- command of the pitch. You go over to his start. Um, uh, God, I forget which game it was. Uh, his his start against uh, Hartford, and then his start against Binghamton. Uh, in both of those starts, that changeup was it was just amazing. Uh-huh. Um, uh, arm side run with fade and late drop. Um, and from what I understand, um, and and. Uh, the the shape and the spin has actually uh, changed a bit during the season. So, um, you know, I, I can't remember. I didn't go completely back and watch all of uh, the start that I watched. He only threw two changeups in that start anyway um, I, on 4-16-2022 uh, when he was in low A. Uh, but, like, 
you know, if this guy has improved a pitch in season, that's that's a pretty amazing task. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the breaking pitches right now, I don't know if any of them are are plus offerings, but, uh, you know, they sound like they're enough, especially with the, the rate he's getting that fastball over for strikes and the swings and misses. I mean, we just don't see um, we don't see a, uh, a guy throwing this hard um, getting yeah. around 70 percent. K rate, uh, 70% strike rate on his fastball. We just don't see that. His overall strike rate is is even higher than that. So um, the only pitch that he's not over 70% um, with for strikes is his slider, and it's just barely under 70%. So uh, this guy's filling up the strike zone. That that's that's plus command right there. Yeah. Um, so Brent got to see Mick Abel uh, earlier this year. Um, and uh, Mick Abel, for those who weren't wasn't on that uh, telecast, haven't listened to that teleca that telecast that podcast. Um, <laughs> God, I hope they don't bring this to a TV podcast. Um, no, but no. yeah, I mean, I, I like wearing my Atlanta United faded T-shirt. I don't want to have to know that I have to wear, uh, you know, a a nice T-shirt to to these things. Um, but <laughs> sorry, I digress. Um, but Mick Abel was uh, was drafted in the first round the previous year uh, that Painter was. He was a 2020 draft pick, and um, you know he's had a uh, he had a he's had a great season um, between High A and Double A. Um, you had Abel kind of in like the SB two range, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, How what what is what is uh, you know compare and contrast the two because uh, sure. it sounds yep. like Painter is is ahead of Abel right now. Yeah, uh, Painter certainly um, you know that the, the fastball is more explosive. Uh, there's more swings and misses on it. It's uh, in a higher velo band uh, than what Abel. Uh, when I saw Abel, he was 93 to 95. Um, and, and, you know, as we said, Painter is above that. And so Painter was getting swings and misses on his fastball that Abel, at a higher rate than Abel uh, was. So that's, that's the first thing that, he's, you know, that is kind of easy. Um, the second thing is that <clears throat> although Painter has some, uh, continue has some work to do, I think, on especially distinguishing the, the curveball and the slider, um, he definitely has four different pitches, um, and uh, and Abel just has three. I mean, I think I think out of the breaking balls, you know, out of those out of the two breaking balls Painter has and the one Abel has, I think Abel's slider actually has the best shape and maybe is the most, you know, the best pitch. It could be the I best agree. pitch out of those three, but the fact that you know. That Painter is working on with another weapon, um, I think, is is a significant difference. Um, the things they are very similar with is is being able to command their pitches so far. Um, Abel's walk rate so far is a little higher, um, and so and I and I think that I mean I I would call I would call Painter's command better. Uh, as far as strike throwing, um, but uh, Abel is not a wild pitcher necessarily either. Uh, from what I've seen, I mean his his command uh, is good, and 
again, these guys being as young as they are, uh, 19 and 20 at double A and kind of, uh, showing us that is, is a, is a pretty significant, uh, it's a pretty significant win for the Phillies, uh, development yeah. for sure. And the, and the other thing that is very similar is both of them have a really good, uh, mound presence. Um, you know, I saw, as I mentioned with Painter, I also saw some similar sequences where Abel were, um, where they got into trouble a little bit, kind of had to regroup, um, was able to do that, let's say. And, uh, you know, and, and that really, when you think about that long term, knowing that these guys are, you know, probably even next year, uh, could be in, in a major league setting. Uh, facing the best hitters in the world, they're going to come up against, um, you know, they're going to come up against some adversity they haven't uh, had yet. And to, to so far anyway, to see these guys be able to handle that, um, have a, have this presence about them to uh, trust their stuff and kind of work through it. Um, that's certainly a really good uh, quality uh, that's, that's easy to see kind of with, uh, with both of them. So overall, I, I would, I would definitely say Painter's ceiling is is a bit higher. Um, I mean, you hate to kind of say this is a, you know, he's going to be an ace or whatever. I I think that he kind of aces kind of proves that over time. But I think because of uh, because of his build, uh, which is bigger, and his fastball, which is bigger, and his wider arsenal. I think Painter's uh, ceiling is is higher, um, but on on the whole, I think, like I like I alluded to earlier, I mean the Phillies just have uh, they've got two really good prospects on their hands, and I think that the way that they're handling them this year, moving these guys up quickly like that, um, and even Dave Dombrowski mentioning um, a month or so ago, hinting that that uh you know when they're ready they could well be on the major league team which a lot of people um uh you know interpreted as perhaps even as early as next year um that's certainly a different approach uh than what the phillies had have taken with top prospects for a while yeah well you know and speaking about the tiers i i think that you know painter and uh grayson rodriguez and yuri perez are kind of uh, for me, at least, uh, kind of in that top tier now, um, you know, and, and Painter wasn't necessarily there. Um, he was probably in the third tier earlier this year. Um, I like to tier my starters. I don't know if people know that. Uh, and what that means is I like to group guys that I think have similar outcomes uh, together. And I think those are the three guys that truly have the ace outcome. I think I think Espino is close, Daniel Espino, the Guardians, but I think that he's just slightly below that. Um, he might actually be in a tier by himself. I think if he uh, might have had more innings, maybe he's firmly in that tier this year. Um, uh, and then the next tier has guys like Taj Bradley, uh, Kyle Harrison, um, the, even Mick Abel. I think that he's in that. Mm -hmm. Ricky Teeterman's another example uh, yeah. uh, of guys that are maybe not necessarily Gavin Williams. Maybe maybe more SP twos. I I, I would have um, I would have Abel probably at the back end of that tier, if not yeah. in the tier four. Um, but but still, I mean, we're talking about 
two dynamic starters and you throw in like uh, Griff uh, um, McGarity, right? McGarity? Yeah. McGarry. 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 Mm-hmm. McGarry. Yep. Griff McGarry. Um, and Ben Brown, who they they traded away um, to the Cubs. Uh, it, it seems like the Phillies have uh, gotten to something that that might not have been there for a very long time. And that is uh, they're figuring out how to develop these pitchers. They've they've uh, gotten some out of the box hires in that player development. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that we can now uh, look at these Phillies. They're obviously scouting for um, specifically the the. Um, the flatter plane fastball up. I think that's one of the things that I've seen that they've been really looking for. Um, but I also think that they're refining and they're very, um, very conscious about um, pitch, uh, essentially the pitch profile, the spin profiles of their offerings. And I think uh, um, just seeing that is a complete departure from where the team was uh, maybe in 2020, 2019. And it's kind of funny that it's happening under the Dave Dombrowski umbrella, because it's uh, not to say that he, he's uh, his development oh, has sure. been right. kind of, you know, that might be one of the things that uh, people will point out that he's never been great at. So it's obviously he's listening to the right people. I know that the Phillies have uh, have some good things. So, um, again, that was Andrew Painter. I'm going to put you on the spot. What is your potential uh, rating for him? Uh, I think he's, yeah, it's back and forth. I think it's, it's, it's a nine, uh, C or yeah, probably a nine C at this point. Yeah. I um, agree. uh, I, you know, he, he goes to triple a and does this same sort of thing for a couple of months up there. Then maybe it's even a nine B, um, next year. But I think for now, um, yeah, I think a nine, is about uh, is about where where I would fall and where I think probably either you or I is almost as high as we can go for you know a pitching process. Yeah, nine nine B is the highest I can go. It's um, ten for us is a Hall of Fame type player, and like we've fantasy Hall of Fame type player, and yeah. it's just so hard to throw that onto a pitcher. Yeah, I don't, uh, because I, of the injury risk and all of that stuff. Maybe, maybe that's an article for the uh, for MLBA. Maybe I just got an article idea of something I need to write. Maybe. What? Yeah. What would a ten C look like? Um, and you know, I, I don't know if I throw a ten. Well, you you have two of the guys in my top tier um, for book coverage. You have Grayson Rodriguez and Andrew mm-hmm. Painter, and I have the other one, uh, Yuri Perez, and then I have the next one. Daniel Espino. So, you know, maybe, maybe that would be a good look. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll have to ask you some questions on how. Maybe we need to talk about Maybe, Yeah. <laughs> I think this is something that we're going to have to take offline later. So, but thank you for that. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we assigned you to this. I, I say we, but I did, <laughs> but I think the listeners wanted it too. So yeah, um, well, I'll I say it's we. Was looking forward to it too. Yeah. Very, very impressive. Good, uh, good chat. So we got two more guys to uh, take a look at here. Um, you're going to bring a couple of uh, video looks for us. Uh, uh, looks like Oscar Colas, an outfielder in the White Sox organization, is up first. What can you tell us about Colas? 
Well, he was a guy that I tried to see in two spots this year and uh, was unable to see him in both spots. But anyway, uh, Colas is a kid. He's a, he's a 23-year-old. He's uh, close to turning 24. Uh, the, the White Sox signed him for $2.7 million. Uh, in this uh, recently uh, completed 21-22, um, 21-22 international signing period. Uh, he's a kid that's uh, played in, is from Cuba, has played a little bit in Japan. Uh, the White Sox have taken advantage of the Cuban market more than, than other teams, and it seems like this is one of the few pipelines that they have. It seems uh, they haven't had as much strength. I mean, Andrew Vaughn uh, is maybe the exception here. Uh, but they haven't had much strength uh, in the domestic draft uh, or even in uh, the rest of international scouting. So they have a great pipeline. It seems like a lot of these players are comfortable and they sign uh, with the White Sox. Uh, the Colas is a powerful, stocky framed player. Uh, I think that was what um, stood out, I guess, uh, about him. And it's kind of, uh, you know, the, it's obvious that they don't care uh, the size of these players. They have small guys like Jokic, uh, Cespedes, who's like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, uh, and Stocky. And then they have some taller guys, too, that are in the major leagues. Like Luis, uh, Luis uh, Robert was is like 6'3", and he's like 6'3", 6'4", and just a tall, lean-looking uh, machine. Um, Colas has an upright, open stance. His hands are high, and they're already back. Uh as the pitch is delivered, uh, his hands trigger with a slight uh, down for downward drift back to the hit position. Uh, he has like this little twisting toe tap thing uh, going on with his front foot as a left-handed hitter. Uh, and he also um, it, he coils back his hips pretty good. Uh, there is like I, usually with a, uh, a stance like this, you would expect maybe uh, some trouble getting to the hitting position, but he, he's, even though there's a little roughness there, he gets the hit position on time, uh, which helps him uh, essentially stay on time, uh, uh, even against big velocity um, with his swing. Uh, so, like watching him in slow mo, I thought that we were going to, uh, I was going to see a guy that was going to struggle with velocity, uh, but I was wrong about that. Uh, it's a power yeah. over hit profile. Uh, it, it is a steep uppercut uh, swing plane, uh, and it, it, it's plus bat speed. This is a kid that probably has double plus raw power, but I would say that he's a, a plus power hitter, and I'll go into that in a second exactly like that. Um, in games, and see, this is the great thing about these video looks is I can – I can always look at just his home runs. I can look at his doubles, his singles. I can look at like a hundred straight pitches. Um, and that's what I did with Colas. I actually really enjoyed him. I really wasn't even planning on bringing him to this uh, podcast. Uh, I, I was doing work for the off season. So, um, you know, this guy um, uh, to me was a fairly easy scout because of this. Um, so most of his home runs were on breaking pitches and they were all hangers. Um, and that's that's one thing I do want to stress. Uh, his whiff rate against the breaking ball is extremely high, uh, close to 50 percent uh, uh, curveball slider. So there, there is some concern with pitch recognition. But if you remember and if you uh, read my articles or saw me at First Pitch Arizona when Luis uh, Robert was in uh, the fall league, that was kind of the same thing I said about him. And then all of a sudden uh, the next spring, he was he didn't look like that anymore. So. Um, I don't know if it's just the transitioning from 
you know, maybe lighter spin. I think the spin in uh, Latin America and Japan are, are, you know, they spin the ball pretty well. But I think it's it might be a velocity separation or something. I, I don't know. Uh, but he looks absolutely lost on most breaking pitches and will chase him out of the zone. Uh, uh, I, I actually looked at um, his swings on fastballs, 95 miles per hour or above. And what's crazy is he, um, uh, on the flatter plane stuff up in the zone, he seemed to be able to get his bat to it. Um, it still was an uppercut swing, and um, it wasn't the best contact in the world. Uh, but, like, he, you know, for the season was, was probably less than 20% whiff rate on the fastball. Um, I, but in this look, in this little look, he he only, I think it was like 8% was his whiff rate. So well, overall, um, I, I, I have him as a 8C player. Um, again, I don't know where the hit is, and I would be more inclined to uh, be be more confident in this 8c if i knew where the hit was um i'm willing to give him a chance he he uh missed a lot of time um as he was preparing to be a professional player um not because of injury just because of that's how things work unfortunately um so i'm willing to give him a bit of a mulligan and still call him an 8c prospect but let's say if i saw him you know, and and those weren't the factors. I would have definitely been an eight B guy because um, yeah. I think the hit tool to me looked like a four at best. Um, yeah. But again, I learned of I learned a valuable lesson with Luis uh, uh, Robert, and um, you know, I'm not as uh, and and uh, Yoenis Cespedes back in the day looked like he could not uh, read spin in the minor leagues. So um, I'm I'm willing to be a little more careful with Colas. Yeah. That's good uh, to hear about the power. I had, uh, as you were talking, realized I had seen Colas um, earlier this year when he was with Winston-Salem just for a game and uh, and got caught his BP. And I was, uh, you know, noted kind of his sort of longer load that he had. And I was curious whether he would be able to catch up to fastball. So that's that's good to hear. And and uh, was his, his, his power to the pool side mainly? That's yeah, mostly to the, mostly to the pull side, um, okay. and mostly to the pull gap actually, right center field. Yeah. Um, and and on the fastballs he hit, he hit hit him like I think he hit one to center, maybe one to right center field, and then there was one I couldn't tell if it was a changeup or a fastball. Uh, yeah. it, it it was it, it was also hit to the uh, right center field. He didn't really go right down the line with anything it, it's uh and and that shows that he's trying to hit those gaps um i i'm sure yeah. they'll they'll tinker with him uh right. which kind of scares me because it is the white Sox, and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah again yeah i mean the other the other in-game note i had is it definitely had a you know a major league fly ball to the warning track and almost dead center um off a off a 91 fastball um and then they, later i did note he uh, did kind of had a couple bad looking chases uh stuff out of the zone which is you know again consistent with what you're talking about but um yeah i'm interested to uh inter- um, i was interested to hear your breakdown of Colos and uh see what uh see what he might become look like there might be some might, might be some tools there let's finish out with a pitcher in a seattle organization uh high pick from a couple years ago emerson hancock uh you get to take a look at uh some of hancock uh, where you fallen on Emerson? So Hancock had a pretty impressive uh, futures game look in one inning, 
And, um, you know, there's been some concern recently whether he's a starter or reliever. And, you know, we we go back and, um, you know, we talked about this with Shane Boz, um, uh, I think, uh, a few years ago, maybe at the Fall League, maybe in an article, maybe even on this podcast earlier last year, um, that... uh, for a while, the best anybody saw Shane Boz was uh, a, in the pen in the fall league. Like, yeah. um, and and that's what stood out. And then he took that extra step. He brought that to the mound as a starter and right. has taken off. And he, he might be in that um, same category as Espino if he still qualifies. Um, but anyway, um, Hancock was... Uh, uh, I think he's been a bit disappointing as a pro. I think there was some signs, and I think if 2020 had played out, I think we would have seen Emerson Hancock uh, at, while he was at University of Georgia uh, fall in the draft. Um, he went into the season as the top uh, uh, college arm. Um, and, you know, if you look at the guys that got drafted that year, you know, he had Asa Lacey, and he hasn't done done too well uh, out of college. Um, so, like the top, the top two arms were considered those guys. And uh, in his first four starts, I think he made four starts with uh, Georgia um, in that season. He did not look like he looked the previous year, uh, and honestly, has not looked that way as a pro. He went from a very controlled delivery to now a guy that's trying to throw very, very hard. Um, and uh, it's a, a tall uh, delivery. It's a low three-quarter slot. Um, I would say slightly low three-quarters. It's not true three-quarters. It's not what I normally would call low three-quarters, but it, it's somewhere in between that. I, I said slightly. Um, he uses lower half really well, and he has solid extension in his uh, in his legs, um, you know, and, and the fastball does play up uh, due to that. Uh, the thing that I consistently saw over multiple starts was his uh, inability to stay closed within his delivery. He kept on flying open. And that is something that if you go through any point of the season, you, you, you tend to find with him. Uh, and even though, like, his fastball percentage is, is about above average um, uh, strike rate, um, but Again, it's it's the other pitches, and he can't throw them for strikes uh, consistent enough to be a starting pitcher. Um, his fastball sits uh, – um, well, actually, he has two fastballs. So there's a two-seamer and a four-seamer. And I think that's where the improvement uh, – and we'll get to that in a second. The improvement I've seen in him has been with those pitches. Uh, he sits 92-96. The two-seamer seems to be on the lower end of that spectrum. The four-seamer seems to be up on that uh, spectrum. The two-seamer is the best of the two fastballs is the arm-side bore um, ground ball machine. Um, it just bores right into right-handed, um, right-handed hitters, and they just uh, love to um, bat it right into the ground. Uh, the biggest improvement in his overall game has been with his four-seam fastball. Uh, the four-seamer is very much improved. It's not the best pitch in the sense of design and all that, but because of how good his two-seamer is, he's been able to tunnel uh, tunnel it off of that two-seamer, throwing it uh, about at the same slot and uh, getting carry off of it instead of uh, instead of that sink. So. 
Um, it has really improved his fastball potential. I think he was some guy that was kind of considered less than plus fastball potential, and I would throw him into the plus uh, category at this point. Um, uh, unfortunately, I don't have the same things to say about his three secondary pitches. Um, he throws a slider, um, and and the thing that's it's a short two plane breaker. It's a it's a type of slider that needs to hang around uh, the strike zone. And he's thrown at less than 60% strike rate with it. Um, and his chase rate for a slider is extremely low at about 25%. Uh, you know, usually in this level, double A, you're seeing uh, chase rates in the 35, 40 range for a slider um, mm-hmm. that's considered a plus pitch. Um, so this is a pitch that's mostly an average pitch at this point. If he threw it for more strikes, he could get to an above average uh, ceiling probably on it. But, um, you know, I, I have a the, the amount of times that he flies open in his delivery and his slot. I, I just don't know if he can get at a higher rate as a starting pitcher. Uh, he also throws a really good changeup, and this is a pitch that if he threw for strikes more often, um, it, it, it could it could be that difference maker that might allow him to be a starter despite uh, the slider not being the greatest pitch in the world. This is a plus pitch. It has arm side run with late break, uh, with late uh, downward uh, break, uh, drop off the table break. Um, uh, throws at 83, 86 miles per hour. He also throws a curve very, very rarely, uh, 74, 76. It's a slurvy feel. Um, I, I don't necessarily like it. I don't think it's a very productive pitch. And, I don't, you know, when you throw a curveball, when it's it's a get-me-over type pitch, you want it to not be a complete shock, um, or you want it to be a complete mm-hmm. shock. Uh, mm-hmm. You want somebody to um, just stand there and, and look at it. Um, and this pitch is not the same quality uh, of shape as his other pitches. And so you're more than likely going to see swings in uh, and hard contact at a higher level uh, if this pitch isn't refined. So at this point, it's very hard for me, Brent, to uh, uh, have him as a top um, top 100 prospect. Uh, yeah. I think I've seen him there for most people. I think he was... Uh, I don't know if he made our top 50 or not, but I think he was close to making it if he didn't make it. um, And and I think I was a little higher on him um, during the list season, mid-season list. Um, uh, I I just don't see it's kind of it's kind of like his um, his teammate. What's uh, uh, the kid that started with the Mariners this year? I, I, I see him throwing and I can't think of his name. Oh, my God. Um, uh, this is the sort of things that happened to me. He couldn't throw strikes as a starter, and uh, we were both of Matt Brash. That's it. I'm leaving that in. This is this is how my mind works. I can see the guy throwing the ball, and I was just about to explain his mechanics, and I couldn't think. Of, I was I knew it was an easy name. It was only two syllables uh, for the whole name, but uh, it's it's a lot like my, Matt Brash, who you're just not sure if he's going to throw enough strikes to start. And could be a difference-making reliever. I don't know if those guys are top 100 guys for me, um, yeah. because of uh, you know it, it's just hard. It's hard to to predict a reliever. I, I think the, yeah. the the easy the closest I ever got was 
I think Josh Hader was was the one guy I saw. I saw him as a starting pitcher. I was like, this ain't this ain't going to be a starting pitcher. This is going to be a reliever. I know people clamored for him to be a starter for years. And, I mean, he's fell off the earth with the Padres since that trade. But um, yeah. but yeah, like it's it's very hard to just be like this is a definite late inning yeah. reliever type. Um, I don't know if Hancock's that good to be that. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I, I too, uh, haven't haven't looked into him much, but certainly knew the pedigree and kind of, uh, you know, maybe gave him more credit than he deserved. It's kind of some of the list-making season stuff that we've done. Um, so it's, it's really good to hear your uh, kind of detailed breakdown on uh, Emerson Hancock. And, um, you know, again, just, just goes to show how uh, these things change and pitchers uh, develop or don't develop at the, at the same rate. And uh, that's what makes this uh, this game, whether you're following it just uh, for the prospect side or for the fantasy side, uh, so fun and uh, engaging. Yeah, man, this is, this is uh, you know, that's, that's well said right there. Um, well, that's the end of our live look segment. Uh, let's go ahead and get to the what's on tap. Uh, Brent, you have some playoff action on tap, correct? Yes, uh, just just one game for sure. Uh, Thursday night, um, we'll be going down to Aberdeen for the Sally League game two, I guess, of the Brooklyn-Aberdeen series. Um, so excited to uh, head down there and check in on some Orioles guys, some of which I've seen, you know, will kind of be follow-up looks. Uh, a couple of them will be uh, first looks. And uh, and uh, sounds like some interesting guys on on that Brooklyn squad as well. Um, so yeah, playoff playoff baseball in the in the uh, in a ball. Um, it's a uh, it's quite an interesting uh, experience uh, on a on a weeknight for sure. I'm sure uh, there will not be a lot of fans in attendance. Um, what about you? Are you heading out able to head out anywhere this week? Yes, I am. I and it's it's funny that you say uh, here in the South, the worst attended playoff games are that Saturday during college football season. Ah, well, uh, yeah, it's it's really it's really sad. Uh, if they can do Friday fireworks, then then you'll get people. But that uh, I mean, I mean, you're also battling high school football, and you know that's yeah. a huge deal down here as well. Um, I get to go to Chattanooga this week. Uh, Tennessee Smokies, uh, Chicago Cubs, Double uh, A team is uh, going to be in town. I'm hoping to get to see two starters: uh, Jordan Wicks, their first round pick from 2021, and uh, Ben Brown, who was just acquired in a trade oh, with yeah. uh, with the Phillies, with the with the Fighting Phils. Um, yep. So I'm hoping to get to see them. And Miguel Amaya is, uh, I believe, back there. I don't know if he's uh, playing or not, but. Uh, that will be a nice little look. And then there's some other interesting starters there. So it won't be terrible if if I miss one of them, I might run into another guy. Um, also, I said last week that Rome was not in the playoffs, that they were a bad team. And, you know, I haven't been to Rome that often uh, this uh, this year, but they're also in the high A playoffs. And uh, there's a game Tuesday. I, I want to look for the pitching matchups before I say I might be there. But they're playing Bowling Green. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm as long, you know, I don't necessarily root for any of these teams, but I'm kind of rooting for the Rome Braves so I can see whoever the winner is of your series um, between Aberdeen 
in yeah. Brooklyn. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm greedy, not because I used to be a Mets fan, but uh, because I cover the Brooklyn, I cover the Mets organization for the book. I'm hoping that Brooklyn uh, and Rome face each other. So I get a few, um, get a few looks at them. Um, uh, and I'll just say this, if Aberdeen advances and, and Rome or Bowling Green, I, I mean, um, I don't know if there's strong looks for you. So let's root for Brooklyn here. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on this week's Eyes Have It podcast. Uh, as always, thank you to everyone uh, who listened uh, to this episode. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can ask us questions at the eyes have it at baseballhq.com. And you can reach out to us on Twitter. Brent is at Brent HQ. Uh, you can reach me at C underscore blessing. First time listeners to our pod, click subscribe to get our future episodes. I, I believe we're at different, uh, we're, we're in a few different places now. We kind of changed uh, some of the behind the scenes things. And it yeah. seems like we're, we've spread our wings, Brent. We're, we're getting to more audiences every week. Um, so, th- so that's great. That is great. I can do some analytical look looks at this stuff. So that's awesome. Um, also, remember, if you're on the fence for first pitch Arizona, um, go to baseballhq.com uh, and get the latest information. There's still a discount available, 25%, as Brent said. Um, we'd love to have you there. And if you're a listener and you come, uh, let us know. Let Brent and I know. Uh, you can even give us some hints on what we need to do next season because we'll we'll be back again next season. So um, please also spread the word to uh, about us um, uh, to your friends, to your fantasy mates, to your non-fantasy mates. Maybe you just go to another fantasy uh, a league, another keeper league, and you're just like, Hey, this podcast is really good, but don't compete in that league. Don't don't let your people know, right? Um, anyway, um, until next time, we'll see you later. Take care, Brent. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.